let's get into the text. So we are working our way through the, the there are four songs or canticles during Advent that are traditionally used. There's Mary's song, which is the most famous one. And there's Zechariah's song, uh, John the Baptist's father, which we did, uh, let's see, the first week. And then today is Simeon. So we kind of are losing stardom here as we get on. And so I hate to say that, but I find them extremely famous uh, in their own text. And that's what I want to in their own context, that's what I want to do. So if you have your phone or you're on the Bible on your phone, or if you have a hard copy, Luke chapter 2, verse 25, Luke chapter 2, the gospel of Luke chapter 2, and I'm in the New Revised Standard Version. Verse 25, now there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon, and this man was righteous and devout, looking forward to the consolation of Israel, that Israel be consoled, and the Holy Spirit rested on him. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Messiah. Guided by the Spirit, Simeon came into the temple, and when the parents brought in the child, Jesus, to do for him what was customary under the law, Simeon took him in his arms and praised God, saying, Master, now you are dismissing your servant in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the presence of all people, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. Verse 33, and the child's father and mother were amazed at what was being said about him. And then Simeon blessed them and said to his mother Mary, this child is destined for the falling and the rising of many in Israel and to be a sign that will be opposed so that the inner thoughts of many will be revealed, and a sword will pierce your own soul too. Mary and Joseph present their child Jesus in the temple, and there in the temple are two old saints. The other one we didn't mention, but it's Anna, and she doesn't have a line of her own. They are filled with the Spirit of God. They are both awaiting the Messiah and the consolation of Israel, as Luke states in his gospel. Simeon is the name of the old sage, and the other is Anna, who is, her age is mentioned. She's 84 years old, and she spends all her day at the temple worshiping, fasting, and praying. Anna is a prophet, Luke's gospel says, and she sees the child Jesus and begins to praise God because now she has seen the redemption of the people is at hand. And just so you know, on the context, the redemption redemption and the consolation of Israel is because they're being oppressed by the Roman Empire. Before that, they were oppressed by the Assyrians and the Babylonians and you name them, they've been oppressed for hundreds and hundreds of years. So relief is coming in this child Jesus. So I want to take this in a little bit of a different direction rather than the historical. So let me ask the question, do we value old age? Do we value old age in our culture and our society? Simeon and Anna, do we value old age? Does America value our elders, our older generation? Now, I think we may wish to answer yes, yes, we do. But our habits and our advertisers say otherwise. Maybe we're scared of growing old. So we don't want to talk about it. Maybe we don't like dealing with illness. I mean, who enjoys hobbling around on your bum knee and your stiff back? 
you know, and that sort of thing until you get going in the morning. But maybe we don't value old age because our culture is just too mobile. We're way too mobile uh, for, um, and um, sociologists are blaming a mobile society for the devaluing of elders. The neglect of elders is because we simply don't have the time and space to, to take care of them and be with them and put them. And, you know, since then, Madison Avenue wants to sell the latest fashion and so forth to the young and the beautiful because they have disposable income or at least a whole bunch of credit cards. And so they'll sell to them. And the elders don't buy all the fancy stuff anymore. So that may have something to do with it. Whatever the reason for our infatuation with the young and the beautiful and, and all other generations and cultures have always valued older age. They valued elders. The culture of the Bible revered and honored um, their elders over and over. Elders were the wise sages of the Bible. They were like some sort of Bible Times Wikipedia or TED Talk. If you wanted some of that, you went and you talked to the elders. They, they passed on the family stories, the nation's stories, the culture's stories. They kept the flame going, and they, were, they knew how to describe it. How many of our children... How many of our children have lived with someone who's old in the house, in your house? Or do you then get in the car and then go in the minivan to visit them and then leave? Where have we had the opportunity to learn the wisdom from our elders? It's not valued very much. Why do we not value our elders? Well, my opinion then is based on years of pastor and spiritual direction. Our souls don't have room for elders. Our souls don't have room. There's a lack of capacity to understand wisdom. The old saying is uh, from a German scholar says, wisdom is knowing how life works. Wisdom is knowing how life works. So here's a story about room in the soul. There was once an important businessman whose life was in chaos And he was not content or happy, and he was eaten alive by anxiety and worry. Moreover, he was angry at everything, so he went to an old monk for spiritual direction. The old monk asked him to sit down and asked him if he wanted some tea. And he asked the businessman to tell him his story. And the businessman began ranting and raving and complaining about work and his home and what was wrong with the country and all those other people. And he just prattled and clanged on like an old junkyard wind chime. And the monk, meanwhile, kept silent and didn't interrupt, but handed the man his teacup, which he perched on the man's knee. And the monk began pouring the tea, filling the cup. The man just kept on talking, and the tea overflowed out of the cup, onto the saucer, out of the saucer, and onto the man's nice suit pant leg. And then the man exclaimed, what are you doing? Burst out the man, and the old monk stopped pouring the tea, and he sat down and he said, your cup is so full, there's no more room for God. If you desire direction, you must first empty your teacup. I wonder what we're full of these days. What are we overflowing with these days? You know what it is. It's polarization. We have no room for thoughtfulness. We have no room for our elders. We have no room for wisdom. 
What I've noticed is that the best elders around have quiet souls these days. They have quiet souls. The quiet is good. They understand, have an empty teacup. The wisdom of Simeon and Anna reveals that they had room to see all the hope of Israel, despite the fact that there were Roman soldiers just outside the temple. They saw the hope of Israel and an infant child Jesus as he was presented at the temple. They had a vision beyond what they saw around them in politics and military and all the rest of it. Where do we learn wisdom these days? We lack wisdom because we do not listen, because our teacup is too full. We don't understand cultures, and we certainly don't understand what the Bible has to offer on this sort of thing, because the Bible focuses far more on the wisdom of the elders than it ever does on the young and the beautiful. Granted, there is King David, and there's King Saul, even, who goes wrong. There are the powerful and rich and influential. But over and over, we find the wisdom coming from the elders. Over and over, we find the wisdom in Scripture. You know, for me, uh, my mother used to quote Proverbs to me. I'm not quite sure what spawned her to th- Wait. It was my behavior. That's what caused her to quote Proverbs to me. And I once remembered one of her favorite ones went like this, and it stuck with me. And she said, it's better to keep your mouth closed and to be thought a fool than to open it and remove all doubt. Right? That one's easy. It's kind of a Mark Twain versionized of it. I think she just modified it to be able to roll off the tongue. Of course, I've always loved Proverbs 14.4. Where there are no oxen, the manger is clean. But much revenue comes from the strength of the oxen. Here, I got props. Where there are no oxen, the manger is clean, but much revenue comes from the strength of the oxen. Ma'am, you're going to have to shovel something if you want something to get done. You know what I'm saying? You know? You guys get this one? I mean, I could have done this and been a Sufi mystic. Has anybody taken a picture of me yet? Do I look like a Christmas elf or anything like that? We think of wisdom, you know, like you got to be some sort of mystic or whatever. Or you got to think that you're like, you know, Mark Twain or, you know, Will Rogers or something. Where's wisdom in our culture these days? Where'd it go? You can talk to all sorts of people these days, and they have wisdom about how life works. What's your hat? What are you wearing? Over the years, I've uh, been a student of the Desert Fathers and Mothers from the 4th century. 4th century Desert Fathers, it's in the, just out the Nile River Valley and out in the desert there. They were the desert monks. And uh, I, I lead contemplative retreats. I'm going to keep pitching this every week because January 20th begins the next generation. And it's, uh, I'm going to keep selling you on, you should sign up for a generation's retreat. The nat- time is now. If you get on your app, it's there. So I lead contemplative retreats. The contemplative spiritual tradition comes from those old monks and those hermits from the 4th century in the Egyptian desert. And these are the quintessential spiritual masters. When you say, who's a spiritual master? The spiritual masters were the desert fathers and mothers out in the Egyptian desert, outside the Nile Valley, back in the 4th century. All right? 
Fortunately for us, what they said was so wise that people began to write it down, people like Ignatius. And they wrote it down and they collected it in big volumes, what they said about human nature. And just to digress for a moment, they were the Desert Fathers and Mothers, if you're like, why'd they go there? They ran away from the world and sin, right? The Roman Empire was still fully active. They ran away from, from secularism, if you want to call it that, from paganism. And they ended up out in the desert alone. And you know what they discovered? Themselves. And they realized sin was in them. Actually, they didn't call it sin. They called it bad thoughts. We had bad thoughts. And anyway, so here's a story. This is the sort of, I'm just going to give you a sample of what, here's a story from the Desert Fathers. And there's a lesson in it, a bit of wisdom. A brother monk committed some sin, and all the brothers were coming together to judge them. They were going to have a little meeting. And they asked the leader, Abbot Moses, he just took a biblical name, Abbot Moses to join them, but Abbot Moses would not come to judge the brother. The priest finally told everyone that he is waiting for him. They asked brother, they said, everyone's waiting for you, Abbot Moses. Come. So he takes an old basket and he puts sand in it and he carries the basket into the meeting. And the old monk walks in with the sand draining out of the basket everywhere. And the people, the men in the assembly say, what's this, Abbot Moses? And the old man replies, you ask me to come and judge another when my sin runs out behind me. And on hearing this, the assembly pardoned the brother and dispersed. Elders, you'll do better with family squabbles to tell the stories of forgiveness like the story I just quoted. Yeah, tell the story, but tell it slant. Tell the truth, but tell it slant, the way Emily Dickinson put it. Tell the truth, but tell it slant. You can't do a head-on on this sort of thing. You gotta do an end around. This is the way wisdom works. Jesus, over and over, a parable is nothing but doing, telling the truth, but telling it slant, you know? Let me tell you about a father who had a son who took his inheritance and ran off to a foreign land, blah, blah, blah. It's no secret that by the time you reach middle age, you get picky. Yep, you get pickier and pickier and pickier with whom you choose to be with. It all starts when you have little kids, and then you're with the other kids in the neighborhood, and then you see some mom jack slapper kid, and you're like, well, we're not hanging out with them. And pretty soon your whole life's filled with people who jack slap each other. And pretty soon you're like, I don't want to be with anybody. You get pickier and pickier. And if you're not careful, your circle becomes so small that you find yourself alone. And if it goes really poorly, we become alone and bitter. Not good. Not good at all. Elders, if you want to become a joyous saint like Simeon or Anna, then take the advice of a very intelligent grand old lady from years ago, Joan Erickson. You probably don't know her name. Joan Erickson was a psychotherapist, a Viennese psychotherapist, which means snooty. I mean, because it's Viennese. And she's the wife of famous psychotherapists. They were both psychotherapists. Eric Erickson. You had it in Psych 101 in high school. 
and we all forgot. But Joan is famous all by herself, of course, most famous because she and her husband wrote a famous book about growing old and what, what you should do. And it's called The Life Cycle Completed. The Life Cycle Completed. And Eric is famous for, he wrote eight stages in this book. He died at about 90. And then she wrote another chapter in the book, a ninth chapter. Joan added an additional ninth chapter on the stages of life. And she added the final stage, and it was called Transcendance. Not Transcendence, but Transcendance. Transcendance, like, you know, dance. How does one accomplish transcendence? And I quote Transcendance. Transcendance, Joan writes, may be a regaining of lost skills, including play, activity, joy, and song, and above all, a major leap above and beyond the fear of death. In other words, make plans. Short plans, but make plans. Have fun. Live one day at a time. Isn't this what Jesus said? Doesn't each day have enough worries of its own? Have you ever added anything to your life by worrying? Is this not wisdom? Joan Erickson wrote this when she was 93 years old. She speaks with a voice of experience and wisdom, and Erickson says that if you want to learn transcendence, then she says this, this will require some great humility. She says that to live a complete life, you must come to realize that your entire life was a gift. It was a gift to others. It was never for yourself in the first place. Life is only what you've given away. She says that in this respect, your death is your greatest gift. <laughs> um, the past year, Lori and I learned to dance. Okay, I, I learned to dance. I learned to dance a little. I, just to give you frame, framework, I was the kid in junior high who just stood in front of the speaker while everybody was dancing. And that's why I'm wearing hearing aids right now. But it's also I did not ever learn to dance. I don't like to dance. I'm not a good dancer. But we learned to dance, and it didn't matter. I learned to dance with my wife, Laurie, and I have several, and other, several other couples. We all took dance lessons together and worked on one dance that we could surprise our friends at their daughter's wedding. But it became something different. I learned to dance with my wife. And I didn't care. And it was a metaphor that says, every day matters. Every day matters. Life is short. Dance. Learn to dance. Because you don't know how many days you have together. I feel like I've moved past all the trivial stuff around me. And now I know what really matters. The sun rises and the sun sets. And I'm with her. Embrace the dance of living. One day at a time. And gain the wisdom of living this life. There's so much that doesn't matter. And only one thing really matters. You find that. And you become a saint. You become wise.
Amen.